Coming to you live from WTHI Delsey Studios in sunny Los Angeles, California, the Hush Hush Society presents Declassified Discussions with Slick Funk Sanders and the Molly Wop Band. Featuring a special guest, and here's your hosts, Mystery Mike and Declassified Dave. Yes, thank you, thank you all for joining us for another installment of the Declassified Discussions. Today, we welcome an author of 21 best-selling and award-winning books, including Past Lives, Future Lives, Egypt, an Extraterrestrial and Time Traveler's Experiment, and many others. He has appeared on television networks, including the History Channel, and has pioneered the field of progression hypnotherapy. He owns hypnotherapy practice in Los Angeles and has performed 35,000 past life regressions and future life progressions. Well, thank you. Uh, my name is Dr. Bruce Goldberg, and it's a pleasure to be interviewed by you guys. And for the benefit of your listeners, uh, we're going to be talking about the fifth dimension uh, in detail. If they uh, go to my homepage and order my book, Exploring the Fifth Dimension, and mention this podcast, uh, they will get a free CD called Fifth Dimensional Travel, which will guide them into the fifth dimension, very safe, by self-hypnosis, and they can experience everything that we'll be discussing today. Oh, fantastic. What a great offer. There you go, Hushlings, you heard it here. Grab Dr. Goldberg's book and you will get that free CD and delve into the fifth dimension. Dr. Goldberg, tell our Hushlings what you have going on currently. Well, let, let's All discuss right. let's the overview first about since we're talking about reincarnation. So the idea of past life regression and future life progression, you know, I get my skeptical colleagues who say, or, or people even in the media, press and company excluded, who say, you know, this reincarnation stuff is all garbage, right? Okay, so let's deal with some facts. I'm a scientist. I have three degrees in the sciences, okay? My, one of my girlfriends described me as having more degrees than a thermometer, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> and well educated here. Okay. Um, so if you look at the field of medicine, you talk, you're looking at about maybe 150 years of Western or allopathic medicine. If you're looking at any philosophy, any religion, you may go back a few thousand years. But if you look at the field of reincarnation, you go to shamanism, that's at least 50,000 BC. Neanderthal man, one of our predecessors, although we're not directly genetically related to, related to them, um, that's 400,000 years ago. So for the last 400,000 years minimum, we have a belief in reincarnation. And one thing I learned when I got my dental degree is that my professors would say, hey, that's a nice inlay or gold or crown or whatever. If it passes the test of time, I'm impressed. If not, it's a fad. Okay? Well, 400,000 years to me passes the test of time. Doesn't prove anything, but in science we say it gives suggestive evidence. So the concept of reincarnation is not some, something somebody made up in their bathroom one day. Okay? It's been around for longer than any civilization has been around. So basically, when you're dealing with reincarnation, here's a very simple way in which you and your audience can relate the idea of past lives. We all have dreams. We know from neurological studies, sleep laboratory, dream laboratory studies, that we dream for three hours a night. It's called the REM cycle, rapid eye movements. There's no argument in the field of medicine about that. And that's unusual because everything is arguable in medicine. But not that, because we have research for almost 70 years. Now, when you're dreaming, 
this is not some psychological meandering. Dreams are actually the soul, the life force, the prana of the East Indians or the subconscious, as we call it here in the West, the alpha brainwave, leaves the physical body and goes into the fifth dimension. So dreams are real experiences on what you could call the astral plane. It's a very common uh, dimension that people go to. So we dream for three hours a night, which is about 1,500 hours a year. Dreams are very often sneak previews of past lives. So if you're dreaming yourself in ancient Rome being involved with some Greek goddess, okay, you know, or or in, in, in uh, you know, the, the Renaissance or Egypt or wherever they are, if you have a dream about another time period, you're most likely reviewing from the Akashic Records one of your past lives. And this can also apply in the reverse, going into the future. Now, my book, my first book, Past Lives, Future Lives, was published 40 years ago. It's the first book ever written about taking people into future lives. So, yes, my work deals with progression, too. And for the benefit of your audience, if they go to my homepage in the upper right-hand corner, they can click on to my YouTube channel. I have 55 different videos of showing of actual people going into past and future lives, including Jerry Springer. I took him into a past oh, wow. lives, and they can see that on my YouTube channel. So if, now if Jerry does it, anyone can do it. Jerry was very skeptical, but he was a good, it was a good subject, so it was fun. Uh, so anyway, everyone can do this. This has been around forever. Dreams are the sneak previews. Uh, the soul enters the body within 24 to 48 hours after birth, so our soul is immortal. It's eternal. You cannot destroy energy. Even conventional physics will tell you that. It's called the law of the conservation of matter and energy. So um, the body will eventually fertilize a lawn. I'm not saying disrespect the body. No, respect it. But basically, it's temporary. It's like... Uh, Temporary insurance, okay? Your soul is whole life here, okay? Your soul will never be destroyed. It will just reincarnate over and over again until you perfect the soul and get the heck out of here. And that's the main advantage. The benefits of of past life therapy is elimination of the fear of death, psychic empowerment, overcoming habits and phobias because you're raising your your soul's energy to a higher level, like an energy immune system. You can access your higher self, which actually does the therapy. Not me. I'm only 1%. Your own higher self is 99%. And you can see your past and future lives. Anyone can do this. There's no limitation. We all have the ability to do this. So, therefore, I look upon this as an extremely therapeutic, not just the curiosity aspect here. And when we're dealing with this, your, your listeners, if they do their reading, will know about the Akashic Records. That's like a fifth digital computer file, which has records of all past, present, future, and parallel lives. I also deal with parallel lives. I call that paragression, going into parallel lives. And people can do that, by the way. Um, and uh, on my homepage, there are access to my CDs. You can People can be trained to do this themselves. Many of my fans or listeners or people who follow my work they uh, can do this by themselves. I mean, I obviously do it for therapeutic purposes, but you can play CDs or MP3 files and use the experiences that we're talking about here. So this is not something that is unique. Anyone can do it. We all go through out-of-body experiences every night, and I told you about the three hours of REM cycles. All your dreams are out-of-body experiences. So doing out-of-body experiences is not unusual. You're doing it for three hours a night. And again, we're also doing this for the purpose of psychic protection to be able to help you get away from the negativity of the world that we live in and to be able to empower yourself. And I call this psychic empowerment. 
It's very interesting because you, you touched on a few points that relates to a book that I'm reading by Len Caston. It's about the secret space program. And he kind of dives into this is something we've talked about on the show many times. We've had guests talk about it. Andrew Goff, our recent declassified discussions, he went into it a little bit. He talks about a reptilian kind of archonic entity and how they use the astral plane of our sleep cycles to attack us with negative energy. Critical. That's it. Now, Goth, of course, you're talking about Goth with the uh, the time travel aspect with the, the strings. Is that what you mean? Is that who the part? The, is that who you're talking about? No, Andrew Goff talked a little bit about how we could possibly be kind of in a prison system. Recent research has shown that we're living in a matrix now. You know, there's actually academic evidence to show that the matrix is actually a reality, that the, the universe is um, created by superior beings, and we're like a, uh, a an experimental, um, you know, like a dolphin in the ocean kind of thing. Uh, so mm-hmm. that is actually something that science is actually coming up with, interesting enough. But but let, let me com- comment about the reptilian aspect. My work deals with that, too. I deal with time travels from our future. Uh, it's one of my books about people coming back in time. But in the fifth dimension, when you're referring to the astral plane, there are permanent residents of that dimension, or that dimension houses some of these extraterrestrials. The reptilians are the nasty ones. They're mm-hmm. the ones that are ballistic. They eat their mistakes, so to speak. Okay, so they're nasty. They're on, there's no good stories about reptilians. And the greys that people uh, deal with mostly, you know, the Hollywood uh, extraterrestrial. There are real greys there. Zeta Reticuli, by the way, about 25 light years away. Uh, that's where they come from. Uh, and they travel through wormholes. So the technology of doing that, we know that mathematically. There's really no argument in the field about that. But anyway, the greys are related to the reptilians. And there aren't a lot of good stories about greys either. You know, they're yeah, very cold. Yeah. No sexual organs. They, we never see them eat. All they do is uh, look at you with their weird, big, stupid heads and their eyes. And <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean? It's not a fun story. The Steven Spielberg alien, we call that. But the reptilians are nasty. And yes, this is psychic attack. So going into the lower astral plane, which is what you're referring to, is what you want to keep away from. In my techniques, by using various psychic protection techniques, I train people to go to the upper astral plane, where these reptilians and these greys and some of these other creepy ETs cannot go to. So you're protected, and you can eliminate the effects of psychic attack. Psychic attack will be illustrated by nightmares in the middle of the night, bad, bad luck, what you would call bad luck. There's no such thing as bad luck. It's negative energy. Uh, mm. uh, physical symptoms, anxiety, depression. I think that all suicides on this planet by humans, we're the only animal that commits suicide, by the way, is a result of major psychic attack. And I'm not the only one who has that philosophy, by the way. So, yes, these reptilians are nasty. Uh, They come from the Draco constellation, the Dracos, we call them. By the way, the current day reptilians have wings. In the future, they actually exist too, but they don't have wings. So they've been de-winged in about a thousand years from now. But the reptilians are well known. In fact, if you deal with uh, David Icke, you know, his philosophy about the Windsor family and the Bushes and all these big fancy political families, they all have reptilian DNA. ETs, my work with the time travelers have found out, uh, if you, my time travelers book traces the history of the Syrians and the other ET groups, the Lyrans, which are the real nasty ones. The Syrians are the good ones, by the way, but the Lyrans are the nasty ones. 
Anyway, one of the many nasty ones. My research has shown that there's been interbreeding with ETs in our species forever, for the last several hundred thousand years, if not a million years ago. Therefore, we all have extraterrestrial genetics. So when someone says, why can't you do a DNA study and look at things, and how do we, why don't we see reptilian blood if we do a, you know, a physical on anybody from anyone on this planet? The answer is because we've had so much extraterrestrial blood involved with us, the baseline would be reptilian and other ET blood. So you can't tell the difference. You see, it wouldn't be like dealing with a lizard versus us. Uh, our blood, our DNA and our, you know, all the hemoglobin and all the little tests we do uh, would not show anything unusual because that's the baseline. And we've been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years. So that's why you can't use just a simple blood test or a DNA test to see whether somebody's a reptilian. You see, we've contaminated the pool, so to speak. But yes, uh, the, the reptilians are nasty. And again, as long as you uh, the, the CD that I talked about it, that I would give to your listeners free if they buy my Exploring the Fifth Dimension book that has uh, psychic protection techniques on there. So they're protected. So if you're protected, you don't have any problems. If you're not protected, which is about 99.9% of the seven and a half billion people on this planet, then you are subject to psychic attack. So basically, you always want to be protected. But I do want to deal with the concept of a little bit about the time concept about going into the future. Regression is something that I'm sure your listeners are well familiar with. But the concept of progression always gets controversy. People say, oh, how can you do that? You know, you can't do the future. It hasn't occurred yet. Well, there are ways in which you can perceive the future. I call this the Nostradamus effect, okay? Nostradamus is one of my heroes from the old days, you know, 500 years ago. The guy was right about half of his quatrains. But let me give you an example. I'm going to tell you about an author of a novel that no one's ever heard of except for me and some of my academic colleagues. The novel was made or written by a man named Morgan Robertson in 1898. The title of the book was called Futility, which he describes a supposedly unsinkable ocean liner that struck an iceberg on its maiden voyage and sank, carrying the elite of two continents to their deaths. Fourteen years later, in 1912, a similar unsinkable liner sailed from England with 3,000 passengers, including many Americans, by the way. The craft was 800 feet long, weighed 70,000 tons, which was also described by Morgan Robinson, and had too few lifeboats. That book, that ship, was called the Titanic. And we know that one all too well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Morgan Robinson's ship was called the Titan. Do you see a correlation here between those? Okay. Mm. That is brilliant, and that is that is documented. There's no argument that novel can be purchased, okay? It's it copyrighted, you know, in the whole routine. There's no games playing play here, folks. So there are people that have done uh, progressions into the future. Many of them have Edgar Cayce, uh, Nostradamus. Uh, you, you go through the whole list. Uh, these are people that are real, and they have perceived things that you couldn't possibly have known by logical deduction. That's called the sixth sense, or the sixth chakra, as we call it. And those are real things. So um, so that that's an example. Now, would you like me to talk a little bit about Jerry Springer and his past and future life? I'd love to hear more about that. But I had one question that I was very curious about. I know that you were a dentist prior to getting full time into hypnotherapy and that you would use that to help your patients. I was just wondering what gave you that idea to use that with your dentist patients? Well, you might say now I drill into past and future lives instead of <laughs> 
Uh, okay, so basically, <laughs> I, was trained, I was trained medically by the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, which only trains licensed doctors in the field, and I was using it for hypnosis, traditional hypnosis, for pain control and apprehension. So that was the medical use of hypnosis. I had read the book, the novel, not the novel, the nonfiction book, The Search for Bridie Murphy, back in 1974. That book was written in 1956 about a documented case of reincarnation from the 1950s. Uh, that book was very famous. It was made into a movie, a Broadway play, etc. And I said, you know, this is kind of cute. Let me experiment. As a hobby, I just had a curio- intellectual curiosity. The very first patient I worked with, who was a friend of mine, she was a social worker, and um, a very young, just recent graduate with an MSW in social work, she went into about 10 different past lives, which I thought was interesting, but more significantly, she overcame two habits and a phobia that I wasn't aware of because I didn't know her very long as a result of the therapy using the, the regression therapy. That got me as a clinician turned on to the use of using hypnosis for dealing with people with real problems, not just reviewing their history channel of their past lives. So today, my, and of course, for many years, decades actually, my practice has matured where I don't just do regressions on people all day long. I used to do that. It's a waste of time. I do what I, what I call a super conscious mind tap, where I'm training the patient to access their higher self, the perfect component of their soul, which can raise the soul's energy to a higher level, just like an immune system, and allow them to overcome the cause of their various issues, habits, phobias, depression, anxiety, uh, you name it, even psychosomatic issues like allergies, um, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, pain, uh, even organic pain can be treated with these techniques. So the superconscious mind tap is an offshoot of the regression therapy, which allows me to deal with the causes of, of uh, people's problems. I never prescribe medication, even though I'm able to do that. I get people off the of drugs. So that's why I think this is a very dynamic field. And to me, I'm very proud of the concept of getting people off medication rather than putting on. And a lot of my colleagues do not like me for that because they think I'm competition to them. I don't really care about my colleagues. I care about the patients and the public at large. So does that answer your question? Now, it, it, you have to understand, this field is, if you go to a New Age conference, the number one topic is reincarnation. The number two topic is out-of-body experiences, okay? So when you go on to a conference and you say, oh, by the way, past life regression don't cure anything, you don't get, you get a lot of tomatoes thrown at you, you know? You don't get a lot of people saying, yes, 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 this is great. This is, this is like a, you know. No, because it, it, it's easy to brainwash people to give them this assumption that reviewing the cognitive historical aspect of a person's history with with past lives would be curative. It's not. I've done more regressions than the rest of the field put together. I've been doing this for 48 years. I know the field. Okay? It doesn't work. In fact, I'll tell you the good best example of this. I did a study, which I didn't publish purposely because I didn't want to contaminate the field. I took 500 people, which is a humongous sample. Half of them I was doing traditional past life regression and progression therapy with. The other half I just did super conscious mind taps. No regression and no progression. And you know what I found out? The ones that I did only the super conscious mind tap, they were cured by themselves. I'm not going to take credit for this in 40% fewer sessions. So what do we learn from that? The super conscious mind tap is far more valuable than doing simply regression after regression after regression. You mentioned that there's three types of -of out-of-body experiences. Can you elaborate on some of those? 
Sure. The ones that you're most familiar with, which you never want to experience, is the near-death experience. You don't want to flatline for a couple of minutes and die, okay? But that's what we taught, you know, uh, Ray Mooney, a, a good friend of mine, uh, was the one who developed this concept way back in the 70s. Uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a little few years before him, also was involved. But you actually clinically die. You flatline for two or three minutes or so, and then they revive you. So that's called, uh, you're out of the body. People will float up to the ceiling, and they'll see themselves on the OR slant. You know, and this and that. Uh, so that's not a good example. The, the, the one that you want to do is called the regular out-of-body experience, where you're trained, like using the CDs that I have as an example of meditation techniques or whatever, where your soul will leave the body, leave a clone of itself to protect the physical body, so you're not going to be possessed by Darth Vader or Dick Cheney or anyone, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so you actually leave, you're entering into the fifth dimension. Remember, we live in the fifth dimensional universe. We can only see three dimensions with our senses or here, but when you leave the physical body, you're entering into the fifth dimension. Call it the astral plane if you want. That's only one of the dimensions. So that's a regular, what I call a conscious memory of an out-of-body experience. Now, the third type is the one that is really heavy. This is what I train people to do for ascension techniques. This is called conscious out-of-body experience, C-O-B-E. And this is where you're merging, you're being trained to merge with your higher self at the moment of death. And if you do that, then you will ascend and not have to come back and reincarnate. You will perfect the soul, go to the soul plane, which is the dimension that you go to where you eventually ascend and rejoin the God energy complex. So the COBE is a very ancient art. It, it comes from the mystery schools of ancient Egypt, Greece and Rome and Persia and all those, China and all those, all those countries. Uh, it's an ancient art of ascension, which was what the mystery schools were all about. So uh, this is a modern day mystery school approach to get people to be spiritually evolved to the umpteenth level, to perfect the soul, and to say bye-bye to the earth plane and the karmic cycle. Have you ever had somebody afraid of what they saw or experienced during one of their hypnotherapy sessions? Well, people, yeah, they go to the, you know, when I would do regressions, they would, I would go, go to the origin of your problem, and if they were drawn and courted in ancient uh, or in, in, uh, in Europe, a thousand years ago because they was, they stole somebody's whatever or they, uh, you know, had uh, an intimate experience with the queen when they weren't supposed to, you know, uh, that is not a positive experience. But they're not harmed physically. I'll give you one example. Uh, a gentleman I worked with years ago, he's a blue-collar worker, relatively uneducated, so he was a real – he didn't read about this. You understand? That wasn't his thing. Um, he was um, – he was married to a, a, a woman and his wife accompanied him to the sessions. Every night for the past 20 years, he would wake up in the middle of the night screaming his head off, waking his wife and just completely in high anxiety where he couldn't even go back to sleep half the time. Okay, And this is a blue-collar worker working in a mill, like in General Motors, you know, where you need your energy, right? So he said, Doctor, for 20 years, I haven't had a good night's sleep. I just wake up in the middle of the night screaming. I said, well, let's see if we can figure that out. So I take him to the origin, which is a past life. He's in Europe in about the 9th or 10th century in France by the seashore, by the Atlantic Ocean. And the Vikings, which were pillaging Europe in those days, they came by. He was about 10 years old. They came by and abducted him and a bunch of his colleagues or his you know, young kids. They took him back to Sweden, which was not unusual, and they trained him to be warriors. And that was true. That's the way the Vikings functioned back a thousand plus years ago. Uh, and then when he was about 18, him and his buddies said, hey, let's get the hell out of here. Okay, let's go back home. So they ran away, they escaped, they killed a guard or something because they were kept in cages, they escaped. They went into the woods trying to figure out how they could get back to France. 
and the, the, the Vikings found out that they escaped, they released these well-trained wolves on them, and they tore them apart bit by bit, including him. And that's what he was reliving. Once he relived that incident, and I did my superconscious mind tap to remove the energy basis of that, nightmares ended, and he was able to get a good night's sleep. So that was, but you have to understand, if you were in that room with me when I was doing the regression, this guy was screaming his head off, okay, because he was reliving that experience. There's no harm to that. You say a little anxiety, okay, fine, but he was doing that for 20 years. So basically he was able to end the nightmares, which was nothing but a review of the death scene from a past life, uh, from his Akashic records, and able to resolve it. And see, the resolution is more important than the reliving of the scene, because I'm a clinician. That's what I do. You've stated in past that time travelers, or as you call them, chrononauts, we've talked about the chronovisor in our Vatican debriefings, and that was a machine where you could supposedly view any point in the past. Do you think that there's any kind of connection there technologically? I have communicated with time travelers, as have many of my patients, and if uh, your listeners want to see the details of that, my time travels from our YouTube book is extremely detailed on that. There's also a video on my YouTube channel where I actually was on TV, a live show where I actually uh, progressed one of my patients into a future life where she had contact with a time travel. So, yes, um, I don't know about the crowd. I've heard about that. My t- the t- any of the contacts I've had or my patients have have not confirmed that. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. I just can't corroborate that from my own research. I wouldn't doubt that because can you imagine what the technology is going to be in a thousand years when time travel will finally be discovered, according to my research, with a man named Tatos and his crew that goes back in time into ancient Egypt for the first time traveler rendezvous or mission, so to speak. We can't even figure out the technology of the next five or ten years, let alone a thousand years. So I don't doubt that this chronovisor, whatever you want to call that, maybe was a time traveler invention that was given to the Vatican or was stolen by the uh, those guys with the dresses that they wear with the little collars, you know, um, and, and uh, use that for their own things. I would love to see what's in the basement of the Vatican. I mean, you have to understand, there's a oh, lot. Yeah conspiracy aspect of that. And by the way, it's not just conspiracy. There's a lot of heavy shit that goes on in the basement of the Vatican that we're not privy to. They even have their own astronomical uh, 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 observatory in Arizona. Did you know that? How many churches, you go to an Episcopalian church, you go to one of these Southern Baptists, do they have an observatory in Arizona? No, okay? The only one I know of is the Vatican. The, the Vatican is richer than God, so they could they can do whatever they want. Um, uh, remember, they killed off the Knights Templar to get their money back, you know? You know what I mean? I mean, they have a long history. It's not very good. Okay, so, um, yeah, the, I wouldn't doubt it, though. I can't confirm it. I'm just saying that uh, I wouldn't have any problems with that whatsoever. And by the way, when it comes to conspiracies, when things like time travels and ETs, if you can document that and demonstrate that and have it corroborated by independent people, it's no longer a conspiracy. It's a fact of life. I mean, my work, I'm sure that I have a CIA and FBI file bigger than your studio, okay? Um, I don't care, okay? It's a fact of life. I've corroborated this. When I did my time travel research, I did not publish that book until 1998. I did about six or seven years of research before that. These people from all over the world, because I have an international practice, my books are translated in 21 languages, which is why I have an international practice. People from all over the world are giving the same information about time travelers. Okay, there's no, there's no correlation. They don't know each other. They haven't met. There's no cabal here. So when you get that, that's called, uh, you know, that's very significant. And that's corroboration. 
Okay? So that, to me, you can't prove it. You can't prove anything in this field, but you can give suggestive evidence. So that's why, to me, it's no longer a conspiracy. It's no longer some psychological meandering or somebody on a bad LSD trip. It's reality. They're reporting the reality. And to me, corroboration is everything. Okay? It's uh, circumstantial evidence, if you want to use the legal term. But it works. And so, therefore, to me, it's reality. I have no problem whatsoever. I don't have any problems with my work with time travelers or ETs. Uh, not at all. I, I don't deal with reptilians because they will eat you. They're cannibalistic. They're creeps. They're the worst example of, of any kind of living thing. And they're supposed to have a soul, but, but I'll tell you one thing. It's very dark if they do have one, okay? And the, the greys are no, are, are, are less evil than the reptilians, but not much. You don't want to have a, uh, by the way, if you deal with the gray, if any of your listeners out there, if they ever have an experience where a gray is about to abduct them, all you have to do is say, hey, bro, get the hell out of here. Be gone. We don't care about you. They will leave. They're like seagulls. They scare easily. <laughs> and they're whips, but people are just afraid of them. Uh, but uh, you can confront uh, an ET. And also you can wear iron. They hate iron. If you wear iron, they'll never touch you. That's why I wear a suit of armor to bed. Every you day. You don't have to look like a knight in shining army. <laughs> an iron little ring or a pendant, okay? Or you can just have a little cross from a vampire movie, anything, okay? I like to throw down the visor, though. <laughs> Helps me sleep. Fine. Can I discuss Jerry Springer for a few moments here? Sure. We love Jerry yeah, Springer. Yeah, let's hear. Okay. Down. So Jerry invited me to Chicago uh, up there for his show <laughs> several years ago. Now, Jerry uh, was very skeptical. He's a lawyer, by the way. He's got a master's degree in, in journalism, by the way. He's a very well-educated guy, but he's very skeptical, but he was very open-minded. So I took him into a past life in which um, he goes back to England, uh, the Londinium area, I call that, around 1600 uh, A.D., and uh, he's uh, he's a, a, a member of a group. He's like a uh, a knight patrolling the area around London with a bunch of his uh, fellow merry men, okay? He sees a damsel in distress. This woman is about to be attacked by a bunch of marauders. They're creepy people. So he and his buddies uh, go out there to defend her honor. The problem was they were outnumbered, so Jerry was seriously wounded in battle. He survived. The woman survived, and she apparently lived in a castle nearby, took him back to the castle, and nursed his wounds, but he was no longer able to function as a knight. So he became like a butler or something. He was living in the castle for many years. And that was the end of that life. At the end of that life, I asked Jerry to review, uh, if you know that woman that you saved and who have uh, obviously ex- extended your life from that past life, if you know her now, who is she? He said, it's his daughter, Kirsty, his current life daughter. So now oh, we have... Wow. Karmic family values with Jerry. In a future life, Jerry is uh, what we call Montana Bobby. He's a farmer in about 100 years from now, and he's providing food to a moon base that we have. And one fine day, uh, when he's doing a sortie from the moon back to Montana, the craft crashes into the ocean and he drowns. And that's how he dies in that future life. Why is that significant? Because in his current life today, he's got a fear of heights and a fear of water, and the origin is not from a past life, but from a future life. That's wow. That's crazy. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's wild. That's, well, you know, if you want to argue with him, that's him. He, he can, it's on tape. I've got the tape of it, and your listeners can, uh, can see it on my YouTube channel. Uh, you'll, you'll just the regression part. They didn't film the progression part, but they most definitely filmed the, uh, the regression from uh, 1600 England. So, um, you know, 
there is a, a, a lot of people's issues can be related to past lives. One of my patients was a guard during the Civil War. He was guarding uh, his troops at night and he fell asleep at his post. And the uh, Union people came, he was a Southerner, he was a Confederate officer. The Union guys came in, killed him and all his people there and, you know, captured him, whatever. So he learned the lesson of falling asleep is a bad idea. In his current life, he um, uh, had insomnia, severe insomnia. That was related, not totally caused by, but related to the incident. After reviewing that life and, of course, doing the superconscious mind tap, uh, I was able to um, help him to... Uh, absolve the insomnia issue, and of course it went away. Remember the rule of thumb. 99% of the therapy that are done by my patients are done by the patient's higher self, not by me. I'm 1%, so I don't, I don't do codependency here. My purpose is to empower people. Now, one of my favorite cases, which is interesting because it relates to time traveler, this is the only time it's ever happened in my 48-year career. Uh, one of my patients was uh, curious about going into the future, and uh, he goes into the 36th century where his name is Kamar, K-A-M-A-R, and he is a time traveler from the 36th century who goes back in time into ancient Atlantis and Lemuria to help resolve a nuclear war between the two continents. So um, uh, this is an example of a patient today, 21st century, who, who actually his future life is going to be as a time traveler. So it's wow. pretty- no, it's it's uh, and they were able to successfully resolve the conflict, which uh, you know uh, was uh, could have destroyed this planet. Okay, uh, nuclear war is not a good idea. Just ask Vladimir Putin about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I had an interesting thought as you were speaking about this. You were talking about how Jerry, in particular, went into his future life and he had a fear of heights and of water. And that kind of related to his progression. Now, we have talked in the past about how time is ever looping. It's just over and over and over the same things happening throughout time. Could that be something that is related to the progression? You know, he does have this death that happens in the future and it's impacting his current life, maybe because he has lived this life in the future and lived this life in the past. And just rolling over and over again of dying the same way and doing the same things. Is that the possible connection? Is that it's just one long loop of time? You're using a good term. The time loop is actually part of quantum mechanics and astrophysics. Uh, this is called the space-time continuum. Once you enter the fifth dimension, you leave the Earth plane like an out-of-body experience. You're now into the fifth dimension, into the space-time continuum, where you can perceive past, present, and future events simultaneously. So there really is no such thing as the past and the future. We label it because we live in this three-dimensional universe we actually live in the fifth dimension, we can only perceive the three dimensions. But once you enter the fifth dimension, uh, then you can perceive everything. So in reality, the cause of that is happening now. Jerry's future life is happening now. He's a, a, a 17th century uh, uh, you know, knight today. All this is simultaneous. So let me give you a good example to show you how you could illustrate this. Let's say that you're in a helicopter above a freeway. Okay, And you know how they do those traffic reports? You get these guys a couple of hundred feet above the freeway and they're reporting where the traffic jams are, etc. So let's say there's a car directly below you. We'll call that the present. And let's say there's a car five miles behind that car, where that car was originally before, and we'll call that the past. And there's a car five miles ahead of it, which we will call its future. You from the helicopter can perceive all three cars at one time. 
right? Because mm-hmm. you're 200 feet above the freeway. Each car cannot perceive five miles ahead or behind it. So the cars themselves are limited in what they can perceive, but you in the helicopter, what I call the freeway of life, can perceive all three cars, which means the past, present, and future. So that's a simple analogy to show how uh, all time is simultaneous. By the way, there's mathematical miles to support what I just said, so you can't argue math. You know, you may not like it, but you can't argue it. This is quantum mechanics, quantum physics, and astrophysics. Any any astrophysicist and quantum physicist will support that. So that's why we label time incorrectly. There really is no such thing as time. Now, you talk about black holes and white holes when we talk about the heavy stuff. You enter a black hole, you go back in time. If you enter a white hole, you go forward in time. We know that, too, for mathematical models. Okay? So, again, quantum physics is the key here. It's a, it's a branch of science that scientists hate. I'll give you an example. I was on a radio show one time, and there was an astrophysicist from Caltech, and he didn't like me at all. Okay? He, I never met the guy, right? I said, what, what, what is it about me you don't like? He said, well, it's not you, doctor. It's your theory behind your, your, your approach. I said, oh, let me guess. You don't like quantum mechanics, right? With quantum physics. He says, yeah. The reason he didn't like it is because quantum physics says nothing happens unless you observe it. It's subjective. Whereas me, as a hard scientist by my training, we're trained to be objective, not subjective. So he said, yeah, I can't relate to that. I said, well, professor, I'll tell you what. Since you don't like quantum mechanics, why don't, what are you going to do? Your automobile, the space program, your cell phone, your computer is all based on quantum mechanics. What do you want to do? Drive to work in a horse and carriage? Okay. <laughs> it's the basis of our technology. You may not like it, but the math works. And if the math works, it works. You can't argue math. It's the basis of everything. And the basis of our technology as a civilization is, is actually the equilateral triangle geometry, okay? Which is mathematically based, okay? So that's where, you know, he, he didn't like it and he left the studio. He was upset with me. He didn't like being confronted. But the point is, is that uh, these are real principles. You can, we can support these things by mathematics. In fact, to show you about time travel, this is one of my favorite examples. Kip Thorne is a very well-known astrophysicist. Now, you may not know who he is, but trust me, he is well-known. He's an astrophysicist from Caltech. Caltech is rated higher than MIT as a university. That should give you a hint, okay? So Kip Thorne was asked by... Uh, was asked to do a research study on time travel. In 1988, he, uh, Carl Sagan, you know, the author, uh, famous author, the astrophysicist. Oh, we know him well. And, uh, he asked him to do, uh, uh, a, a research study to support his research on his novel. Okay, that was made into a movie, you know? Okay, so Kip Thorne wrote an article, a scientific article in the Physical Review Letters, which is a technical physics journal. In 1988, in the fall of 1988, documenting how an advanced civilization can go into the quantum foam, enlarge a a wormhole by using exotic matter, which has negative mass that we can't produce today, and therefore create a time loop and therefore a time machine. So now we have the mathematical model of a time machine, thanks to Kip Thorne. That article came out, what, 34 years ago? Nobody has ever uh, contradicted it, although they've tried. Uh, we don't have exotic matter. They're trying to use that with the superconductors, you know, and all these places to try to do that. But it's going to take a thousand years. But we have the mathematical model for time travel. So people want to argue with me? Go ahead. Read Kip Thorne's article. Okay? This is published by a major referee, by the way. Just like I've had articles in scientific journals published, you've got to get them refereed by three independent editors. Okay? Uh, so uh, this is a real, and he shows you the math to do it. 
It's very complicated unless you know uh, integral calculus. You're not going to be able to understand the math. But the point is we have a mathematical model of time travel. And we have lots of models. We've had uh, other people who have come up with models of time travel, which mathematically work. We just don't have the mechanics today to actually create it. Now, I know people will argue with me. There's the Montauk Project in Long Island. I got all this. I understand all that, but I haven't seen it myself. Okay. So I want to chat about Egypt a little bit because you've mentioned it before, and then you've mentioned Atlantis, ETs, time travelers, and Lemuria. That part of everything you talk about is super fascinating. Can you elaborate on that whole bit? Okay, so let's talk about Egypt. If you talk about one civilization that the basis of Western civilization today and technology and and most of our major disciplines, it's Egypt. Uh, Egypt, in ancient Egypt, women had community property rights, which no ancient civilization ever gave. So if you divorce your your husband who was the pharaoh or some nobleman in ancient Egypt, you got half his stuff, okay? Nobody had that until recently, okay? All right, so... um, uh, That's a good divorce. Monarchies developed in Egypt. We have geometry. You notice how everybody studied in Egypt. Pythagoras, Plato, all the big boys in Greece and Rome, they all went to Egypt to study math. Isn't that a Euclid geometry, etc. So here's the reason why Egypt was so advanced. By the way, Egypt was advanced 4000 BC when everybody was living in caves. Okay? They came up with ophthalmological surgery, with dentistry, with brain surgery, with trephination of the brain. They did all this kind of stuff. They created everything. Pyramids. Nobody can build the pyramids today that were built. Not 2500 BC, but those pyramids were built at least 10,500 BC, by the way. I document that in my time travelers book. And here's the reason. The first time traveler... My, my research, in the year approximately 33,050, is a man named Tatos. He and a bunch of his buddies go back in time, and the names of them are Geb, Isis, Osiris, and Horus. That ring a bell? Okay? Mm-hmm. Go back into ancient Egypt for their first mission. They worship as gods, of course, as you know. These are gods from ancient Egypt. Tatos is actually Thoth, who the Greeks called Hermes, by the way. Um, and uh, they came back in time, and they went into Egypt, and they were there a long time, back and forth. So Egypt was I- interacted by time travels from our future, from the 31st century. That's where the technology came from. Just like, the, you know, the government's always like to say your taxes pay for all the advanced technology we have. No, it doesn't. The, the advanced technology we have came from time travels and ETs, not from your tax dollars. I'm not saying research doesn't work, that we can't develop things, we can, but we are interacted in our dream levels by time travelers. Recent research has shown that 80% of scientific discoveries and artistic uh, breakthrough moments of art and sculptures and writing, etc., are generated during the dream levels at night. We know that. Those are, that's research. Well, guess what? Time travelers in the fifth dimension, which is where they travel, can interact with us, and they do during our dream levels. So whenever somebody has an aha moment that they dreamt about, you can thank a time traveler for that. Okay? So it explains a lot about Because why? Look, our species has been around for 300,000 years. Recent research in Morocco, they found a 300,000-year Homo sapiens sapiens skull and from the skeleton. Okay? So we know we've been around for 300,000 years. Our species hasn't changed much in 300,000 years. The brain hasn't increased. The gray matter hasn't increased. So why is it only within the past 50 years, 100 years, we've got computers and space programs? Why didn't we do it 100,000 years ago? Okay? Those alien visitors. Well, 
This, now this, this and time travel are very relevant. According to geophysicists, they'll still say if the Earth doesn't have any major cataclysms for 10,000 years, like pole shifts and major uh, tsunamis and earthquakes that are really significant, then you can develop an advanced civilization. Well, there's been lots of 10,000 years of peace and calm in this planet in the last 300,000 years. And that includes no ice ages, too, by the way. Remember, 7,000 BC, the Sahara Desert was a rainforest. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got that? Okay. That's fact. Okay. Any geologists tell you that. So, um, that's why these things couldn't have been built, um, uh, 2,500 years ago because it has water erosion thanks to, a uh, 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 shock from, from Boston University. So where do you get water erosion? Well, it's got to be at least 7,000 BC because that's when it was a rainforest. There has to be enough water to erode anything in the Sahara Desert in at least 7,000 years, if not 9,000 years. So basically, uh, we're dealing with the concept of, uh, of, of our species should have done that, but we didn't, as you correctly deduced, we didn't have the ET contact as often and as surgical as we've had in the more recent times. That's why. Okay, so uh, there's no reason why we should have developed the technology we have now that we couldn't have done in ancient times. Look at ancient Greece. You had Plato, Socrates, you had, uh, you know, uh, all these Aristotle, these brilliant minds. Archimedes, one of the greatest minds of all time. You don't get much attention to it, but Archimedes, if you do some research on him, the guy was brilliant. Um, so uh, why didn't they develop it then? We had more raw materials than we do today. We use a lot of shit today, right? Oil and steel and iron and all this kind of stuff. They, in those days, they had tons of raw material. If we can do it now with, the, with our limited, well, still enough to do our thing. But uh, So there's no excuse other than ET and time travel contact. So that's my hypothesis, which I think is very well established. And I'm not the only one who's come up with this, you know. You just can't convince a skeptic, uh, you know, of anything. I don't even try, you know. My definition of a skeptic, by the way, which I'm sure you guys deal with too, if they discover a UFO in their backyard, they bury it and hope nobody saw it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we get plenty of those. Do you think that all the UFO abduction cases kind of go hand in hand with all the other patients that you have internationally with some of the stuff you talk about in lucid dreaming and the different planes that you can reach? Yes, I, I do deal with abduction cases, especially in my time travel work, uh, and uh, they are corroborated. They give the same information roughly uh, throughout the world. It's not just the Zeta Reticuli, there are the Pleiadians, uh, and, uh, which are very good to us. They're actually one of our protectors as well as the Syrians. Um, but um, yes, I, the, I, I think those abduction cases, I think many of them are real. Not all of them. I think there are people that are looking for attention. I think there are people that are borderline psychotic or schizophrenic. I don't doubt that. Uh, but that's not going to explain all the cases. It's especially when you can corroborate the technology, okay? Uh, that's very interesting. To me, yeah, the, the government does not want you to, you know, you know it's how the United States government, although they're starting to release some information recently, but you notice who releases a lot of information? The Mexican government, the South American governments, they release a lot of information about UFOs. Oh, especially the military footage. I've seen a lot of military footage with the, the Mexican government. On the air, you got this an equivalent of a 60 minutes in Mexico. I don't know the guy's name, but he does a, if it's still on the air. And he's had generals from the Mexican army saying, yeah, you remember back in 19, well, maybe, maybe, maybe you don't remember this, but it was in 1990, I believe it was, there was a major solar eclipse in Mexico City, somewhere in Mexico. And people, were, in those days, they had camcorders rather than their phones, you know. And they were putting their cameras up to the sun to take pictures of the solar eclipse, right? You know what they saw? About 50 UFOs. That means the ETs wanted us to see them, just like they want us to know about their abductions. 
because that's based on the Drieta Treaty, which was supposedly done in 1952 or 54 with Eisenhower, where 54, I believe it was, where the ETs made a deal with the American government and other governments, too, where you let us abduct your people, uh, not too many of them, although now it's about 8 million Americans, and then we'll give you advanced technology. That's called the Drieta Treaty. Well documented, well known, well, it's been reported many times. The problem with that treaty was Eisenhower never submitted it to the Senate, so he could have been impeached for that. Because all treaties have to be ratified by two-thirds of the Senate, okay? Well, you good luck going to the Senate and saying, hey, guys, a couple of grays in uh, Edward's effort. <laughs> and um, I don't want you to, like, really hassle me about it, but can you put your John Hancock on this so we can get some more technology? You know? Yeah, he'd be impeached <laughs> for different reasons. <laughs> yes. And he wouldn't have been able to play golf. But that was Edward's Air Force Base, and that was actually a fairly documented uh, uh, story. I know people are going to argue with it, but uh, it's been well reported many, many times. It's called the Grieta Treaty, G-R-E-A-D-A. You guys can Google it. It does explain things because, again, why do we have this technology today? Think of the technology in the 1950s. They didn't have computers as we have today. The computers was the size of an Amazon warehouse in those days, right? Got that? Now you yeah. can your pocket, okay? Um, uh, transistors, radio technology, all these things occurred since, since after World War II, which is coincidentally when we have major UFO contacts, you see? So remember, it was like, I think it was 1952, there was a major UFO sighting in Washington, D.C., where the military was going crazy. They, they thought the Russians were trying to bomb us or something. Yep. Yeah. You know, UFOs, you had, remember, even during World War II, you had, in Los Angeles, you had this UFO yep. that was sighted. And remember, with the they sent missiles trying to destroy it, and they couldn't. And it was uh, a, an actual UFO, which was invulnerable to missiles. They didn't use nuclear weapons, but they used, you know, fired all kinds of missiles and this and that, and they didn't touch it. This was called the Los Angeles incident. It was 1942, I think it was February, and it was well documented in the newspapers. You can read about it, okay? So what was that? They've made movies about it, the Battle of Los Angeles most recently. I think there's a there's probably a couple versions of I mean, it. Probably an X-File episode, but they were also doing real documentaries on this. And it's, it's a documented fact. You can check the newspapers from the 1942. You can see it. So my point is, is that there's many UFO incidences that are not explained. About 5% of them can't be explained. About 95% of them, they say they can explain. I don't see all the research, but 5% of the minimum cannot be explained. And if you can't explain it, now we're dealing with some heavy stuff here. Because these people are really smart. The guys who evaluate these things, other than the political hacks and the ones that are, you know, sucking on the government teat, you know. (laughs) (laughs) The Blue Book Project, you know, was a, a political scam. Uh, although they made a TV series about that. It wasn't re- it renewed. It was a really cute series. Um, but anyway, the, um, uh, you can't, if you can't explain it, that puts it into the category as why not? We've got the technology to explain just about everything today. So uh, to me, yes, I, I do believe it. And again, my time travels work, and my ET book also deals with time travels, by the way. That's who developed the Egyptian civilization, ETs and time travelers. And Egypt is what we, uh, we really owe our respect for as far as the development of Western civilization, even more than Greece, because Greece ripped off everything from Egypt, especially the map. What a species of extraterrestrial do you think aided the development of Egypt? I mean, you mentioned Atlantis too, and that was a pre-civilization of Egypt. Okay, well, the, the main, the main Egypt, the main ETs that came here about 500,000 BC were the Lyrans, the bad guys, and the Syrians, the good guys. The Lyrans looked like little Irishmen. They had red hair. They had fairer complexion, and they were nasty. They were violent. They were just, just like people with too much alcohol. 
Okay, um, the Syrians were more of a protective, and the Pleiadians, of course, were protective too, from the Seven Sisters, the Pleiadian constellation. So the Lyrans were here first. So they were screwing around with primitive man, you know, Homo erectus, whatever. Um, Bogging with Homo erectus. <laughs> Homo erectus is an actual genus and species, guys. Clear your mind, okay? Get out of the yeah, Come on, Dave. Okay. Oh man, you didn't get the joke. It's all good. This, we call that Homo erectus dysfunction. Okay. All right. So <laughs> anyway, um, so the Illyrians were here first by several thousand years, and they were corrupting our primitive species. And then the Syrians came in here to play catch up and to help protect us. So the Syrians were our protectors, as well as the Pleiadians. And there were some other ETs that were helping us, too. But the Illyrians were the bad guys, and the reptilians were here, too. They were the real bad guys. They were the cannibals. Remember, they were eating their mistakes. But so we were protected and, you know, we eventually evolved. And But we had a lot of genetic alterations based upon ET. So every one of us out here, me, you, and everyone, has extraterrestrial DNA, period. The problem is that's the baseline. So you can't say, look, it's extraterrestrial because it, it's different than everybody else's. No, it isn't. It's part of our DNA background. So we all have extraterrestrial deeds. So we're all star children. Just like every human body has elements from stars that exploded, supernovas, you know, iron can, and carbon, all this kind of stuff comes from the stars. So we're all star children as well as extraterrestrials. So we may live on the earth, but we are an extraterrestrial. We have our gray card, so to speak. You've mentioned that there was ancient technology like anti-gravity devices and even nuclear wars way back in ancient times in the range of 20,000 years ago. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Sure. Uh, you have evidence of, of nuclear reactions. Nuclear reactions do not occur spontaneously. You have to have 100% pure water. You have to have plutonium, U-238 or something. Right? You've got to have elements and you've got to go through a procedure. Right. Think of World War Two in uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima. OK. All right. So we have evidence of India. You have parts of northern India uh, where you have uh, buildings that were like um, uh, 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 torched to the nth degree, which would be a result of uh, nuclear explosions. You have glass in the deserts of Saudi Arabia, as well as other places where there are deserts. There's about 10 spots around the world. When you took a nuclear explosion in the desert, you're going to form glass. That's how hot it is, okay? Well, there's no natural reason to explain that. Nope, no archaeologist or historian or anybody else can explain why we have glass in the desert or why we have the, uh, the East Indian uh, examples of, uh, of, of nuclear responses. You can't explain that. In Ireland, too, there were some of the castles that had that or, or some of the stones that we used to make those castles. Uh, so uh, these are examples of nuclear explosions uh, in ancient times. There's also the Tsonga effect in Russia. If you were 1905, there was this major explosion in Russia uh, in the middle of nowhere, uh, Siberia. Uh, it was called Tsonga effect. I, I report that in my first time travels book, which was 1905. They even had radiation. Remember, in those days, the Soviet Union did not allow researchers to go in there. But in 1962, they sent a bunch of people there, American Western researchers. They still found nuclear reaction or radioactivity 55 years later from this event. That's actually a nuclear explosion. It does not occur naturally. And that explosion was heard thousands of miles away, by the way. That is well documented. Okay, they've even done documentaries on that. So, um, yes, there were nuclear explosions, advanced technology. If you look at the East Indian literature, some of their books, you find the Vamanas, the flying crafts, 
They called them uh, Vamanas in India. Uh, Valixes were the uh, Atlantean version of that. These were flying crafts that uh, would shoot down missiles to the earth. In the Mahabharata, an ancient epic poem from India, they describe a nuclear reaction and a nuclear war. It's very detailed. I, I give quotes to that in my time travels book. Um, so, um, yes, there's lots of examples. So are these all people making it up? And by the way, when the East Indians wrote about these crafts, these uh, Vamanas, they call them, they described them intimately. Engineers have evaluated the literature, and they found out that what they were reporting could actually work as a craft. So they weren't just making this up. There was a guy um, in England about, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. He took, uh, what's his name, Da Vinci's uh, drawing for a, a parachute, developed it, made it to Da Vinci's specifications, jumped out of a plane, and it worked. Of course, that's 500 years ago. Da Vinci is the greatest mind in human history, by the way. Every scholar will tell you that. Um, so, yes, there are lots of things that we can't explain. The only explanation is extraterrestrial time travel advanced technology and interaction with our species. And Egypt is a good example. So is India, by the way. India and Egypt both have good – India, uh, Egypt more because we have more records from them. Uh, but nuclear explosions happen not just 1,000 B.C. Nuclear explosions go back hundreds of thousands B.C. So who was around? You know, Homo erectus wasn't doing Neither was his dysfunctional colleague. Dr. We just want to begin to wrap this episode with you. We've held you for an hour, and it has been amazing, the amount of information. It's been fantastic. If you just had one thing for the Hushlings, one quick blurb for them about whether it be regression or progression or time travel, what would it be? Just one takeaway. The takeaway is we can all access our higher self, the superconscious mind, the perfect part of our soul. You can use that to read your Akashic records, review your past, future, parallel lives, and you can use that to grow spiritually, empower yourself, and to decrease the amount of time that you will have to reincarnate and move towards ascension. I call this psychic empowerment. Now, I hope that you guys are linking my website uh, to uh, to your, your, your site. Uh, they can yeah. access to where they can order my book and get the free CD, Exploring the Fifth Dimension, and get the free CD of Fifth Dimensional Travel. There's many articles on there. They can click onto my YouTube channel, and uh, they can uh, review a whole bunch of other things that I do as well as my other books. And remember, I do do sessions by computer. I do Zoom sessions or FaceTime or even Skype uh, by computer. So if they want to do that, they're more than welcome to. And uh, on November... T- uh, on March 24th, like I said, between 12 and 2 a.m. Pacific time, I'll be doing another interview with George Norrie on karmic capitalism, using uh, your spiritual growth to attain abundance while growing spiritually at the same time. Oh, fantastic. Bruce, really quick, I was on the checkout process on your website looking at your books. How can our hushlings let you know that they were sent to you from here so that they can get that CD and that signed copy? When they order the book on the books link, they can just put down, there's a place where they can type some things in. They can just put down, heard you on Hush Hush, um, you know, uh, and uh, want your free offer. That's all. all they have to do is mention Hush Hush. And okay. they will actually be sent the, uh, the uh, CD with the book, with the autograph book. Fantastic. Dr. Goldberg, this was truly an amazing experience. And we'd like to thank you so, so much for joining us and being on the show. Well, my pleasure. And to keep within the theme of the show, I would love to reincarnate with you guys anytime. Oh, that would be fantastic. We would love that. And you can spread the word. You don't have to hush-hush it, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Hushlings, for listening to another installment of the Declassified Discussions, and good night.